Welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC, and you're with us for the second in a little four-part series, looking at creation and how we engage with it and how we understand it too. We're going to be looking at another passage from Romans this time, but more than just the one verse. And you're going to have me talking for a little bit about some of the theory and the theology, and then I'll be handing over to Ruth, who will be talking about some of the ethics, some of the way in which uh, some of the way which you understand how we live out some of the theory. So let's pray first and then let's have a little look at this passage. Lord God, as we find ourselves surrounded by creation, would you help us to be with it, not just in it? Amen. So I'm in a shadowy part of the Dunster Beach uh, site. Um, so actually the, the view of my face is probably not as striking as it was last time round. <laughs> and uh, I'm still by some water, which is why I'm still having things flying around my face a little bit. Uh, and as, as I've been setting up, there have been one or two ducks splashing around in the water behind me. But if you're lucky, you might see another one of those. Our passage is Romans 8, 20 to 25. And it goes like this. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's always good to look at ways to cross-reference within the Bible. No part of Scripture should ever be taken on its own, isolated from other things. We should always be looking for how any one part of the Bible speaks into the the overarching narrative of the Bible. That narrative isn't delivered in a sensible linear process. So we're not able to look at the whole thing in sequence and say, well, we build up a picture by reading it in the order in which it's presented in published copy. It is therefore appropriate for us to look at cross-references from here, Romans 8, and look back again at Genesis 1. So the first five days of creation bring us all kinds of things, and, and they, they are brought to us through then God said. This is the uh, repeating motif that, that God's voice is the thing that brings things into being, into life. Remember, God created and then organised. In fact, Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, the world was formless. So there was a world but it was empty. It was not ordered or organised. And what God did in those first six days of creation is give them the order and organisation that they have. One of the key things about this text, this bit of poetry that Genesis 1 is, is that it does something important for its original readership. Because chaos was seen as a representation of the enemy of God. And where God was, brought, he brought order. So 
how did things come to be the way they are? Because God brought order to what previously was chaotic. Anyway, days one to five of creation bring us all sorts of things. And then day six, we start getting, I suppose, what science fiction writers might like to refer to as higher life forms. I was watching a film recently that referred to higher life forms and then the need to rescue those that weren't higher life forms. Anyway, you see what I'm getting at. But day six of creation doesn't replace days one to five. Instead, it complements them. It adds something. It, it broadens what creation is and can do. Now, why is this important? Well, I think crucially because I think for some time now, and I'm talking about hundreds of years rather than a few minutes, humanity has misunderstood its role in creation. It tends to look at creation and go, well, we're superior. Maybe because we were made last. Maybe because we can do things that other parts of creation can't do. But actually, day six doesn't replace days one to five. And the last act of day six to make humanity doesn't replace the earlier work in day six to create other things that happen on day six. Do you see what I mean? It's not the case that God worked his way up to humanity and then went, ah, oh, this is the thing I was going for. Never mind the rest of it. He didn't say that. He said, well, look at all this stuff. And, and here's how I can add something even further to it. Here's a role for humanity, a role that comes from humanity being in my image, like me, able to reason, able to create, able to organize, able to bring order. Now, why am I saying this? Well, Paul describes creation as groaning and being subjected to frustration. He also refers to it as, as creation itself, this is verse 21, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Why is that important? Well, I think because what Paul says there is that the freedom from decay that God is promising humanity is also promised to creation and the glory that we are promised the glory of the children of God is something that creation gets brought into as well part of what I'm trying to drive out here which I think Paul is aware of as he writes is there isn't a separation between humanity and the rest of creation we're not different we can do different things but we are still created beings we're able to order and organize and create and imagine and all those things, but we're still part of the created order. Enough that, uh, that's enough, enough uh, to the extent, that's a better word, to the extent that creation gets to share in the blessing of the glory of God in the way that we do. If you like, creation gets to inherit its proper intention, just as humanity gets to inherit its proper intention when the heaven and earth are remade, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, as Jesus promises us. Now, all of that means that authority over creation remains in God's hands, not in ours. We, we as humanity are given a role in that, but we're not putting authority over it. We're given a role much more like, oh dear, I can't think of a good way to put it. Maybe uh, in, in loco parentis is a good example. So when, when my children went to school, the teacher had a role, and the Latin term was in loco parentis, so in the place of parent. 
they didn't become the parent, but they had a role that was equivalent to and some responsibilities for my children. And perhaps our role in creation is like that. But let's pick up on that word in. You see, I don't think we have a role in creation. I think we have a role with creation. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So if we hold on to this idea that authority isn't ours, then we recognize that we are not separate from or authority over creation. We are with and part of creation. I think we get that by reading Paul's words here and by reminding ourselves of how creation happened in Genesis. The promise that we are given, that we will be released from decay, is the promise creation is given too, that it will ultimately fulfill everything that it could be. So the challenge to us, and this is one of those points where being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is about challenging the way the world around us functions. It's being countercultural. That's a posh word for it. But, but to, to be other than what our culture expects us to be because we follow Jesus, to be able to say, creation isn't for us to use or exploit. My younger daughter is currently um, in A-level season. And she's been showing me some of the stuff to do with the way the rainforests uh, in South America is being exploited. There's some of the political rhetoric around that, which basically says, why should we look after something or look after people when we have authority over this place and we can do what we like with it? And that's the heart of how our relationship with humanity's relationship with creation is misunderstood. That isn't the way. We get to share in the release from decay and the glory of God's new heaven and new earth. And we share it with creation itself. So we are with, not in. We are part of, not authority over. Creation remains God's and we have a responsibility for it because he trusted us with that responsibility. We are wired to connect with creation not to lord it over it. And we come back to the same question we had at the end of our last session. Jesus says that we should love God and love our neighbour. In the context of creation, how do we love our neighbour? Well, not least by recognising that this is our neighbour's home. Creation is home to all humanity. And if we love our neighbour, we love their home, not just ours. And so we take care of it, all of it because God gave us responsibility and because we love our neighbour. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for trusting us with creation. Forgive us for the times that we haven't loved it as you do. Help us to love our neighbour by how we look after their home and ours. Amen. And now over to Ruth. Hello, thank you, Mike. Last week we talked about a sit spot and taking time in nature and how that's really important in order that we might fall in love with nature but also understand more of God and to turn our hearts towards 
him in praise and worship. This week we're thinking about our role within creation, what God called us to be and to do, and I think Mike shared some really helpful things with us to help us to understand that better. And that actually that role isn't one of authority, but actually it's one of joy and generosity and love. So often we consider um, actually, maybe we, not how we consider, but how we live out our role within nature is actually about work, about greed and about selfishness. Those might not be the things that they intend, but that is often how we live out our life. But we have the ability to imagine something different, to consider what God originally meant when he asked us to call for creation, to care for creation. And Christians haven't always been great at this. And um, I've read quite a lot recently that has spoken about how Christians have actually taken advantage very much of creation and thinking that um, rather than it being a gift, but it is that, that possession, something that we have and we can take whatever we need and whatever we want. And um, let's have this opportunity to, to, to live this differently, to live out a different story. Mike shared about our neighbour and it's so important to consider our neighbour in the choices that we make. And that might be on the neighbourhood as in the natural environment, but also to consider the people that live in the world. And we are very blessed in this country that, yes, we do have issues, we do have environmental troubles and floods, but the majority of us live free from that. But actually, for so many people throughout the world, their life is deeply affected by seawater rising. Their homes are having to be moved back and back and back. And well, quite often that's a makeshift home. It's not a home as we would imagine. And they're moving further and further away as the sea is coming in. For many people, drought is huge. They're planting crops, but the rains aren't coming and they are not able to provide for themselves. And then there's the matter of rubbish. Uh, we are very blessed in this country that our rubbish is taken away um, and our recycling is taken away but we're not always sure what happens to that and, and some of it we believe is going to the other side of the world and they're having to deal with our rubbish too. Mahatma Gandhi said, live simply so that others may simply live. And that's a very powerful thought, isn't it? That actually considering how we live, here in this place in this time and considering a simple lifestyle a simpler way to live can actually enable other people to simply live Dave Bookless has written a book called Planet Wise which is a brilliant book and uh, one of the things he says is if we are to worship God with heart soul mind and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves then we need to change our lifestyle radically. At present, the average Briton uses such a large amount of the Earth's resources that we would need more than three Earths if everybody in the world wanted to live the same way. This is both an issue of justice for the world's poor and an issue of worship, as this excessive consumerism is actually an idolatry of greed, pure spiritual cholesterol. They're powerful words, aren't they? But actually, it is true that in the Western world that 
we have all of our needs and many, many, many of our wants provided and that isn't the case for everybody throughout the world. We have a responsibility to care for the natural environment around us in order that others might simply live. And it'd be great as a church to be part of this whole transformation. So today, last week we talked about a sit spot and I hope that maybe you started to think about that or maybe you've even found yourself somewhere that you're going to go regularly and um, spend time with God in nature. But today we're going to think about some really practical things that we can do. And um, I've thought of three particularly, there's loads more. But, and maybe in your groups this is something that you can, can talk about further and share your own experiences. The first thing that I want to share is campaigning. So there's many, many organisations that have environmental campaigns, um, petitions for you to sign, um, letters to write to your MP and to government to talk about having, um, looking at environmental issues and making life fairer and more just for everybody. And one that I personally would recommend is Tear Fund. They do some amazing campaigns. So if you haven't before, maybe take a look at them. Also working with local groups. So there might be groups that are in the area that are working um, with conservation um, and wildlife. Um, particularly Andy and I are part of Watch It Plastic Free Communities and we're on the steering group for that. And um, it's really great to have that, that practical involvement within our community about something that we care about. And, and being a Christian voice in that, even if we don't speak of God, we are Christians in that place. And also, the thing that I think is the very practical thing that we could all be involved in, in some level, is, is what we buy and how we buy. And um, there's a really brilliant acronym, which is LOAF. And each letter obviously means something, it's an acronym. And when we go to the shops, this is quite a good one to keep in mind. The L stands for local, the O for organic, the A for animal friendly, and the F for fair trade. So as we enter the shop and we're looking at the things that we're going to purchase, um, these are really good things to think about. Is this something that comes locally? Could I buy this locally? Could I buy this from a local producer? Is it organic? Has it been produced um, with care for the environment involved, with, without pesticides? Is it animal friendly? What has been the welfare for the animals um, that have produced this or have been used to produce this item? And F, fair trade. If it's something that's had to come from the other side of the world, if it's our bananas, our chocolate, our tea, our coffee, have the people who have provided this food had a fair wage, had a safe working environment? So obviously you can't fulfill all of those things. Um, you can't be local and fair trade. But it's something to consider that when we're purchasing, where, where, where is this coming from? But also um, about what it comes in. Does it come in plastic? Does it come in paper? Does, can it come in nothing at all? Can I just buy it as it is and take it into my home? So we can be considering in everything that we do um, the impact that the thing that we purchase has on other people and it has on the environment. And I just want to share just a, a little bit of our own life, which is that this is a journey. And um, as I said last week, 
caring for the environment is something that I've been passionate about for a long time, but actually the practical steps to that have been gradual. And when Andy and I were first married, the one thing we tried to do was to purchase fair trade, our tea and our coffee um, and bananas. And, um, and more recently, as things have become available, we've added things to that list. But actually that's where we started more. Um, as we had children, we decided with our first child that we were going to go for washable nappies, that this was really important. We didn't want to add to landfill, um, but actually wanted to have washable nappies. And um, things have grown and changed as time's gone on. But I also want to encourage you that there are challenges and there are failures and there's sometimes we can do it and there's sometimes that we can't and our personal thing is that we, we use the real nappies and then we had twins <laughs> and uh, with twins and our, our toddler still in nappies the the whole real nappy thing kind of had to go out the window um, for us and we had to to go back to disposables which wasn't what I wanted but it was what I was faced with at the time and so just an encouragement that we can't always do it but we can try and we can do our best and we can look for the the best way to do it for the moment in time and also finances sometimes buying things that are organic or local or fair trade can be more expensive but God is really faithful I found as we've tried to make these choices and um, God has really provided for us and maybe as we reduce buying some things that we don't need we're able to spend more on other things and maybe there's seasons and there's times when there's some things we can do and some we can't but let's take ourselves on that journey and let's know that God is faithful to help us as we try and I just want to leave you with a final quote and a final thought which is um by a man called Rob Hopkins, who's, who's the um, initiator of the transition movement, transition town movement. Ultimately, any response that is sufficient to the scale of the challenge is about coming home, about being aware that we are part of the networks around us and that we need to nurture and rebuild them rather than imagining that we can su survive independently of them. I really love that idea of, of home and that actually let's look closer to where we are, let's look at the environment because how we treat this patch around us actually makes a significant difference to people on the other side of the world. Caring for this cares for our neighbour. But also let's look to our community and look for their support and look to support them too. And we have the privilege of being part of the church community. And um, what I'd really love for us to think about in our groups is how can we support each other with some of these changes in lifestyle? How can we encourage other people with what we've done? How can we encourage them and help support them in changes that they want to make? And so just leave you with that thought that we're not in this alone, that this is a journey together and it's a journey that we can make as whole church to a place where we really consider that role that God has given us in caring for creation, in looking after creation, that that isn't something that we, we rule over, but that that's something that we live within as a whole church community. Thank you.